to the Uproom Frisco podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit uproomfrisco.com. Good morning, friends, family. It's wonderful to be with you, to see all of your Jesus-reflecting faces and worship once again. It was a time where I got messed up by the love of God. I don't know about you guys, but there's just something about coming together and singing to God and singing of God's faithfulness in the gathering of the saints where there's just increased power. And I've had, um, from the time I was a child, you know, just countless encounters with the Lord in that place. And so I love that we are a people who do not forsake the gathering for, uh, for many good reasons. And, and uh, I've really enjoyed the last two Sundays, you know, with Palm Sunday and, and Good Friday and, and Resurrection Sunday, um, I was like a kid in the candy shop, you know, just thinking about the, the goodness of God and, and the power of reconciliation. And um, often when like Easter or Christmas ends, pastors go into like a little bit of uh, depression, like what now, Lord? And, like, <laughs> but good news is that Easter is again this Sunday. The Eastern Orthodox Church is celebrating Easter today. <laughs> um, and so... That means that 300 million believers around the world are, uh, are celebrating resurrection today. And I say, why not celebrate resurrection every day? Like reconciliation. Yeah. Reconciliation is just the best news ever, right? Yeah. We're living in a, a time in human history where no matter how loud the blood of Abel cries out judgment, 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 there is a louder blood crying out. The blood of Jesus is shouting mercy, mercy, mercy. And that is what we get to live in and drink from and enjoy all of our days. Um, can you guys open up to uh, 2 Corinthians 5.18? I want to talk about the the ministry of reconciliation, what Jesus embodied with his life and the apex of it being the cross and resurrection and ascension. Uh, this is Paul, of course, in 2 Corinthians 5, 18. And if you guys want a, like a power chapter, just in general, I know like it's all good, but 2 Corinthians 5 from beginning to end, it's like it's like everything. Somehow Paul encapsulates the, the good news of who God is and who we are, who God is in, in us and who we are in God all in, in one chapter. And so and, uh, it's the, you know, the new creation section. But here we are in 2 Corinthians 5.18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are ambassadors representing this ministry now. Like, do you know what it means to be an ambassador? It means that you are endued or endowed with all the power of the, the king or the nation that you represent. And so you're sent as a, a visitor or a sojourner on a mission to another land, and with you rests all the authority of your nation, okay? And so we are Christ's ambassadors, and he's given, he's literally handed over the most important thing to us, which is the ministry of reconciling people to the heart of the Father. And so... 
there's a lot of uh, mystery as to what that looks like, and Peter had a really good question about what this looks like. like. What does it look like to not count men's sins against them and reconcile them to God? And Peter asked Jesus in Matthew 18, and I think he was kind of puffing himself up in this, if you know Peter. He's like, Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? And then he throws out an audacious number, seven times? And, you know, Peter, he, he's kind of good at posturing, you know, like he's probably like puffing himself up in front of everyone, like I can forgive someone seven times. And Jesus just like, he, he just like puts a nail in that mentality and says, Peter, I, I tell you, not, not seven times, but how about 70 times seven times? And Jesus, in this moment, I don't believe that he's giving like another formula or like an expiration date to our mercy. He's not saying, okay, 70 times seven, that's 490, right? He's not saying count up to 490 times because once it's 491, you just give them over to the tormentors, you know? Like, <laughs> Jesus is presenting like a whole new paradigm of walking in unending mercy. We know this to be true, right? Because love keeps no record of wrongs. And Jesus, the, the father wasn't counting men's sins against them on the cross. Jesus didn't just teach this, he, he lived it, he modeled it. And if you think about things from his perspective, how, how much sin did he forgive? How, how many horrible things done to him and his children has he overlooked? When it says that he was reconciling the world to himself, that word for world is, is more literally translated cosmos, which encapsulates everything, and he's not counting mankind's sins against them. So who does that cover? Who is covered by Christ's mercy, his atoning sacrifice? Who does it stretch to? If you open up to 1 John 2.2, it says it like this. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Wow. What a merciful maker, right? See, grace is, is a hot topic. It's a big topic, and it's a topic, but that it's just, it's not even a topic. It's like a realm of discovery of the heart of God, and, and I by no means have come anywhere close to exhausting or figuring it out, but I'm sure that we can say we, we really haven't preached real grace until we are accused of the things that Jesus was accused of. We haven't preached true grace until we're treated the way Jesus was treated, right? He said this himself because no servant is above his master or no student is greater than his teacher. And so if they treated me this way, get ready because they're gonna treat you that way. If we're not occasionally accused of these things, I'm not sure if we've really majored on mercy yet. After Jesus had reconciled the world to God, not counting our sins against us, um, he met Mary Magdalene, of course, at the grave. And it's that famous moment where, uh, you know, he, he says her name and she remembers who he is, who she is, and that everything he said is real, and he's alive, and all of her hope returns, and she shouts out, Rabboni, 
which means uh, rabbi in uh, Italian. And um, <laughs> and, and, and lunges at Jesus, you know, and he's like, ah, don't cling to me. I haven't yet ascended to the Father, which is like a really mysterious verse, which is, I'm not going to preach on today, but it's just awesome. And then he uh, appears to the disciples and he commissions them and he commissions us. And I want to... Uh, I want to spend some time in, in John 20 at this scene. So open up to John 20 with me. I think this section is key, if not the most key section for us um, understanding and walking in the ministry of reconciliation and not counting men's sins against them. This is John 20, 19 through 23. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. That would be terrifying, right? And he says, peace, peace be with you. Don't, don't be terrified. Can you imagine like your resurrected teacher just popping in the middle of your room. They have reason to be startled. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. Um... The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And this is verse 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. And then catch this phrase. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. In the same manner that the Father sent me, so now am I sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then this is an interesting thing for Jesus to put right after this incredible moment of this breathed on moment and, and him manifesting in, in this locked room. He, and he says this, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. Crazy, right? When is the other time that God breathed on man? I should say it like this, when is the only other time in scripture that God breathed on man? There's only one, and it's at creation when Yahweh, after he said, let us, let us make man in our own image, form man from dust, stoop down, breathe into our nostrils, and we wake up staring into the face of our master who has breathed on us. And then what happens with Adam is that he gets the, the, great, the, the commissioning, the four purposes of man to take dominion, to multiply, commune, cultivate. He gets his charge. He gets his commission from the Lord after he's breathed on. Are you guys picking up what I'm spilling? Jesus comes, Yahweh himself, after the creation of Adam, the second Adam comes, breathes on mankind again, initiating the new creation and commissions us with the new commission and purpose of man, which is to be agents of forgiveness and mercy. And in this moment, I don't think Jesus, again, he's not encouraging us to not forgive or like pick and choose who we're going to forgive and not forgive because we know that Jesus also said in Matthew 6, 15, that if you don't forgive sins, you won't be forgiven. In other words, if you don't walk in mercy, mercy will be withheld from you. Judge not and you won't be judged. These are the words of Jesus. And so he's not saying like this is an option for you, although you do have the freedom to not forgive people. I'm warning you what that will look like if you walk that way with your life. 
Have you ever wondered what it looked like in the heart of God before creation and when, when they're dreaming and scheming about what things are gonna look like? Have you guys ever wondered stuff like that? Have you ever wondered what it looked like uh, the, the moment before the incarnation? Like when, when Jesus, when the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are dreaming and scheming and they're about to initiate the reconciliation of mankind and Jesus is gonna somehow encapsulate all of divinity into a microscopic seed and impregnate blessed mother Mary through what we call the divine conception. Can you imagine all of God being in, in a microscopic seed so that he can inject himself into the physical realm? Like, and, and, and what kind of discussion was, was going on in, in that moment. Well, I believe that this section kind of shows us. Ashley, would you, would you stand up here? And why don't you, uh, why don't you stand on the stage and, okay. and face out? And, and let's see here. Uh, Ryan, can I borrow you? And, and you stand right here and face me. So in this scenario... I'm not making, no one has a bigger size, like, throne in heaven, like, <laughs> the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are equals, like, so, but in this, in this uh, image, I want you to see me as Father, this is Holy Spirit, and this is Son. Now, remember, Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so now am I sending you, and he breathed on them and said, go forgive them, and so, here we are, before the incarnation the father approaches the son and goes, <laughs> only he has perfect breath. <laughs> and looks his son in the eyes and says, go forgive him, son. You can sit down. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. That's what it looked like. That was their plan. The father and son in complete agreement and unity and the, and the Holy Spirit championing, championing them on in complete unity. Can you guys just imagine that for a minute? Can you imagine being in that room? Let's, in fact, let's, let's close our eyes and envision Jesus standing in front of us or sitting in front of us or you're, you're knee to knee with the Lord and he, and he puts his hands on your shoulder and goes, Go forgive them. Go show them my mercy. That's what we're commissioned to do. I believe that mercy is the, the key way that we shine in this world. And the only way that works is if we know that we've been freely forgiven, then we can freely forgive, right? Go and freely give as you freely receive. Judge not. Uh, you know, we have, to, we have to be the people who remove the logs from our own eyes so that we can actually go out and be kind to the world, right? In John 3, 17, it says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And so um, the heart of God was never to bring condemnation. It was to bring reconciliation and redemption and, and salvation to men. Um, you know, there, we, get to, uh, we get to shine with this kindness in the world, right? We get to actually be like 
the, the, we get to be the nicest people that anyone ever runs into. And I'm not talking about mamby-pamby nice. You know, meekness is violence. Jesus' meekness was so big, he absorbed all of our violence. You know that, right? <laughs> Jesus' meekness was so big, he was able to absorb all the violence of humanity with his meekness. I used to think that like light forcefully overcame and dispelled the darkness, and I do believe that's an incredible metaphor, but I think that what's more accurate is that the light of Jesus is so powerful, he absorbs all the darkness. Even when he walked around, he is like, you know, when, when someone hits you, why not offer him the other cheek? And, and I don't think Jesus said that to say, like, in a show of resolve, to show them that they can't break your spirit, offer them the other cheek, no. Jesus was saying that. I actually saw the Lord in a vision one time where he said, what that means is that I gave them the best shot they could have at my cheek so that they didn't break their knuckle on my, my cheekbone. He received the blows of humanity. So we get to shine in this dark world. I want to be, a, I want to be like Daniel, the prophet. You know, he's one of God's chosen people, and then he ends up uh, in exile. He is a victim of uh, a violent government takeover, and he is abducted into the, the king's service. This is, a, this is an evil regime where he's placed with, under the, the charge of the eunuchs, and he is numbered among the magicians. He's, he's even called the chief of the magicians, and so he's surrounded by darkness. He's living in this nation as a shining bright light. And, and Daniel didn't, he didn't just shine in a, in a show of resolve, showing that, you know, Babylon can't break my spirit. He actually deeply loved these people. Even when he was thrown into the lion's den, he was so loved by this heathen king that the heathen king fasted and prayed for Daniel all night that nothing bad would happen to him down in the lion's den. Can you imagine being so loved by the world? that the world fasts for you. And of course, he's not eaten, torn apart by lions, and the, that morning comes and the king runs out to the lion's den and shouts down, Daniel, was your, was your God able to save you? And what are Daniel's words? Oh, king, live forever. How kind, how loving was Daniel? You know, Daniel uh, was so faithful, had such an impact and shined. He shone in such a way in this heathen nation that he served several kings throughout Babylon's history and uh, coming up on, on King Cyrus. And Daniel was so old and wise that he, he mentored King Cyrus. Cyrus comes in as the new king and well, who's gonna mentor him? Daniel. And in that season, King Cyrus actually dictates, he writes down uh, what's called the Human Bill of Rights. And he writes out what he believes every human in the world is, is, has a right to, like how every human should be treated. Are you guys hanging with me? What happens is that that thing survives. That Bill of Human Rights survives to the point where the UN uses it as their Bill of Human Rights for every human on the planet, which means... 
that a king mentored by a shining light named Daniel wrote something that has impacted every generation since and how God thinks men should be treated. I wanna be like Joseph in Pharaoh's house. You know, like Joseph, just like Daniel, he had reasons to hate Pharaoh. He's, he was mistreated and thrown into prison. And again, he's surrounded by these shaman and necromancers and, and, and he's regarded as the, like the chief wise man for Pharaoh. And he, and he loves Egypt so much. He, he ends up saving this nation in, in the famine. And not only did he love Egypt, but Egypt loved him. So much so that when Joseph died, so when Jacob died, Joseph's dad, it says that Israel mourned for 40 days, but Egypt mourned for 70. He was so loved, his family was so loved by this heathen nation that they mourned more than the very nation they were birthed from. And it makes me wonder if the world would mourn my passing. And I want us to ask that about ourselves. Are we such a light in this world? Are we such a conduit of mercy and grace and love and wisdom and revelation and the virtues of heaven that if we were to go, the world would hurt? See, we're the light of the world and no one puts a lamp under a basket, but it's placed high in a place and gives light to the whole room, right? So in the coming years, I don't know how the dark could get darker and the light could get lighter unless the church becomes a candle box. And we huddle. we're not the light of the church, are we? We're the light of the world. It's metaphorically and logically unsound to say the dark would get darker and the light would get lighter. That just doesn't work because light does dispel darkness. If the church is shining the, the way that we're supposed to, that literally cannot happen. So how, how can we be merciful in the face of such like awful things in the world, such violence. I mean, the, the news stories and the mistreatment of people and the, the child trafficking and, and things that strike so deeply at, the, at our heart. of How can we be merciful in such a world? I think that number one is we need to see that, that sin is at its core deception. And it doesn't help if we, if we say the words, they should know better, has that ever helped anyone to say to your friend, family member, anyone to say, you should know better? No, because sin at its core is a deception. Right from the beginning, Eve is deceived. In fact, uh, sin, uh, when, when you see sin manifesting, it's actually just evidence of a faulty belief system, either about who they are or who God is. You know, the behavior flows from identity. So sin isn't a behavior problem, it's an identity problem. We believe something wrong about ourselves or about God and that's the identity that we manifest throughout life. And so what we have to do is get to the core root issue and see God rightly. And so number one way that we can be, grow in mercy is to see sin as a deception. And when that happens, something weird also happens with it. You start to get a little bit excited when people manifest. 
because you know that that thing in them has been in them all along, but it's manifesting because the light's getting brighter in their life and what's hidden in darkness can't hide anymore. Who said this? They don't know what they're doing. Who said that? Where did he say it? What did he say right before it? Father, forgive them, and he linked forgiveness to deception. I believe in that moment, Jesus, you know, the, the veil's thin between life and, and death in that moment. And we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Do you know someone who's in that cloud of witnesses while Jesus is hanging on that cross in the moment? In that moment saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Someone is staring Jesus right in the eyes. And her name is Eve. From the great cloud of witnesses, she hears her maker and savior let her off the hook and undo thousands of years of pain brought on by the words take and eat. Do you know that when take and eat became a curse, it would take thousands of years and unending pain to turn them into the words that would be the greatest blessing for humanity. Take and eat now. Guys, the last Adam redeemed the first Eve and did what the first Adam should have done, treated her the way she was supposed to be treated. Even when the disciples wanted to manifest racism and do a literal racial cleansing of a town, Jesus says, you guys are racist idiots. No, he doesn't say that. <laughs> he said, I didn't come to destroy lives, but to save them. You don't know what spirit you're of. In other words, you've been deceived. Stephen mirrored this as he was laying down his life as our first martyr, Saint Stephen, when the stones begin to impact his body and he's succumbing to, to that moment and he's, a, he's about to like give up his spirit. He mirrors the words of Jesus in that moment and says, Father, don't hold this against them. And he prays for the very ones who were murdering him. Forty-four verses later, Saul, the man who was overseeing Stephen's murder, is knocked off his donkey in blinding light and looks into the face of the one that he was really persecuting. See, Stephen's life and death and prayer at the end worked and paved a road of grace for Jesus to come and knock Saul off his donkey, the one who was murdering Christians, the jihadist of all jihadists, gets ransomed into the kingdom of light and becomes the author of half of our New Testament because Stephen died well. Number two, how do we walk in mercy? We forgive as God forgave. In the same manner, we forgive as God forgave us in Christ, obviously not counting men's sins against them. Let's do another, another stand-up example. 
David, can you stand up? It's a, it's a visual aid kind of day. Come on, look at this guy. David and I joke because we're like the same size in every way. Like, <laughs> we have the same shoes. So anyway, let's say, guys, that <clears throat> let's say David, who is a good friend of mine, has sinned against me. He's just really hurt my feelings, okay? He's done something. I feel betrayed by David, like right now, so betrayed by David. You know, like, <laughs> I can't even imagine this. <laughs> <clears throat> but let's say, David, um, I'm, I'm willing to forgive you. We'll just cancel this debt. If you give me $1,000, <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to just, like, le let's level those scales of justice. All I need is 1000 bucks. I'll never, I'll never remember it again. <laughs> is that forgiveness? No. What's a word for it? Restitution, right? He's like he's doing some sort of payment to me in order to earn my good graces. Or, well, let's say instead of restitution, I say, David, man, you hurt me so bad, but I'm willing to just like call it even if you let me punch you in the face. <laughs> just <laughs> again, <laughs> just one real good wallop, and we'll just call it good. What is that forgiveness? What is it? Retribution, yeah, retribution. So, so what, would, what would actual forgiveness look like if, I am, uh, if I'm like Jesus in this moment? What does it look like? It probably looks something like this. Man, you know, I know, I know that you know that, like what you did really hurt me, but your friendship to me is worth so much more than any of that. I want you to know that I completely forgive you. And, and from this day forward, you'll never hear me talk about it again. I just, I just want us to be brothers. What's that? That's forgiveness. And then we, we walk out in, you know, in this day and age, redemption and trust and friendship. Thanks, David. So we forgive people the same way God forgave us, right? Number three, how do we, how do we grow in mercy? This one is really important. I believe that we, uh, we need to take sides with the Holy Spirit against the ways that we view the Father. We need to team up with the Holy Spirit to find the ways that we've been viewing the Father wrongly. You know, um, at one point, uh, I guess it's been at least a year, um, our six-year-old, Della, she believed that there was a monster under her bed at night. And... Um, and I went in to tuck all the, my, my girls in bed, and the, our three daughters sleep in the same room. They've got like mirror beds in this room, and so it's a party up there. And um, <clears throat> I'm going in, going in to tuck them all in, and Della, um, the girls, the, the older girls say Della's afraid, and they're kind of mocking, you know. And I, and I sit down with Della, and I say, is that, is that true? Are you, are you afraid that there's a, a monster under your bed? And she sheepish, sheepishly says yes. And so I, I asked her, do you want me to go under there myself and check? You know, just like any dad would do. And, she's, and she gets a little scared. She's like, yeah, okay. And so I get under the bed to discover that, what, there's, there's no monster under the bed, is there? But also because I'm a, a father who likes to have fun, I scream and shake her bed, and, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> <laughs> 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 
And then, I, and then I skewed up from under the bed with a big smile on my face at the edge of her bed, and she starts laughing. And all the other girls start laughing. And, and she realizes how silly it was to think there was a monster under the bed. And then I said, do you want to come down here with me? And so the two of us, we swim in all of the like, lost toys and dust bunnies. <laughs> <clears throat> under her bed, and she sees, <laughs> is this real, guys? She sees that there, there actually is no monster under her bed, and, and, and for, for weeks afterwards or months afterwards, when I would go and tuck them in, it would become a laughing matter. Like, and they would say, Daddy, go under the bed again, and they're no longer afraid of the monster. They just want to laugh about the whole thing. But what if the monster under our bed looks exactly like the father that we fear? Who's going to go under there? And who are we going to tell about it? If, the, if we believe that there is an angry, monstrous father lurking, waiting to grab our ankle when we get out of the bed, how, how are we going to trust our father who mirrors that image to go under the bed? Well, we would need someone who came in the likeness of man, who knows the heart of the Father and perfectly represents the Father and shows what the Father's really like and goes into the darkest places with us to turn all of our fears into laughing matters. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, how can we trust our dad to go with us into dark places if we fear him punishing us for even having that dark place to begin with? That's called a double bind. When you're afraid to ask God hard questions because you think in asking the hard questions you are falling out of his good graces. Are y'all with me? See, Jesus is so kind that even though there was no reason for us to fear anything, just like Della had no reason to fear any monster under the bed, Jesus came like, just like the good father and climbed under every one of our beds to dispel all of the monsters we've constructed with our own false ideas about God and delivered us from those fears so that forever that's now a laughing matter. Have you ever thought back 10 years and thought, oh man, I can't believe I thought those things about God? Just me? Thought 10, 20, 30 years back, oh man, I can't believe that God wanted, I thought that God wanted those things of me. I had a picture of the father in my brain that made me hide just like Adam and Eve hid. But through many powerful moments and many slow years of looking at a Jesus who perfectly represents the father, I now see a father who would meet that woman at the well. I now see a father who would stoop down in the dust and author something beautiful for the woman caught in adultery. I now see a father who still stoops down and authors something better for every one of us. I see a dad who runs off the porch for every prodigal, and I see a great physician who carried our infirmities. And I want y'all to know that I'm still just starting to trust him. You know, it takes, it takes years of walking with God where you really begin to trust his nature. You know what's more important than understanding his ways? Trusting his nature. Because there will be many times in your life when you have no idea why that happened or you might not understand God's ways in some moment, but if you trust his nature, you know that it's gonna turn out for good for you, don't you? 
I'd like to journey with all of you guys into seeing this God, a God whose goodness can't be exaggerated, whose meekness really did swallow up all of our violence, whose mercy triumphed over all of our judgment, and whose kindness absorbed all of our rage, and that kindness leads us to repentance in this day. I want to see with you guys a God who stepped into our darkness and swallowed it all up with light, who even stepped into our very accusation of God, thinking that he had been forsaken when really he was never left at all. Can we stand and pray together? Holy Spirit, I just want to echo something that I'd so eloquently said a few minutes ago, Holy Ghost. (laughs) I'm just joking, y'all. Holy Spirit, we do want to take sides with you against all of the caricatures that we've drawn of the Father. Holy Spirit, we... We've come to realize that there's no greater thrill than to feel a stronghold torn down and a right belief about the Father built in that place. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to tear down the strongholds in our minds and thought. We we invite you, Holy Spirit, to go into those places of trauma. Father, I know that many people in here have an earthly father that was a monster under the bed. Every one of us in here, we've had experienced moments where the enemy wanted to shape us with darkness and trauma. And you're the only one who can undo that, Holy Ghost. And so we invite you in. We gladly, excitedly, and hopefully invite you into those dark places. In those places where our image of the our Heavenly Father has have been marred by our experience with earthly fathers, we invite you in. Guys, if that's you, just just let him off the hook again. I know you've probably forgiven him a hundred times, but there's no harm in just saying again, Father, I, I forgive my dad. Or I forgive my mom. I forgive that person who dramatically and horribly shaped my understanding of the nature of love. I forgive them, Lord. I let them off the hook. pray that your mercies would flow in my life again as I extend this mercy to them. God, I pray that Upper Room Frisco, that my, my friends in this room, we, we would become uh, the, the brightest, shiniest lights in this world that this world has ever seen. So much so that they, we're, we're, we're saying of the, the politicians that we thought we hated, oh, live forever, oh, be blessed. That, that we can confidently know that that this world would mourn our passing, just like Joseph. Would you make us lights in this world that shift this planet and make earth look like heaven? In Jesus' name, amen.